The talk you're about to hear was given by Groove Boston, the policy and campaign coordinator and volunteer coordinator at Forests of the World, or in Danish, Verdensko. At one point in this talk, Groove talks about Bolsonaro, the president of Brazil. His name isn't mentioned since his name was on the presentation slides. So for those of you listening to this podcast, this occurs around 23 minutes in. I am a policy coordinator, campaign coordinator, and a volunteer coordinator in Force of the World. Um, I've been working on our soy campaigns for the last three, four years. So that's why I am now a claimed expert. Um, just somebody who knows a little bit about soy and especially the, the repercussion it has for the forests. So that's what I'm going to talk a little bit about, about uh, the soy and the... the dark side of the soy and also the um, uh, the things that are going on in the in the EU for instance uh, or globally to to prevent this a little bit and then maybe we can talk a little bit about how how to help this problem or what you can do or I don't know let's see yeah so the soy production globally has been rising the last many years, um, the last 20 years at least. And this is mainly due to our consumption of meat worldwide. Um, it might also have a little bit to do with, with the consumption of bioenergy. And we use the soy oil for uh, biodiesel, biofuels. It corresponds with a total area of 123 million hectares. That's a lot. I'm going to tell you a little bit about, about how much it is in the Danish consumption, how much big an area that is. I don't even know how to picture this. Yeah, most of the soy comes out of Brazil and the US. We get most of our soy from Brazil and Argentina. Um, it's actually used for a lot of things, like cooking oil also. Um, like the oil is used in many food products. Um, but the, the cake, we call it in Danish, <laughs> the, the soy cake, um, when the soybean is pressed, you get a cake out of it, and that is mostly used for uh, animal consumption. 75% of all, all soy production is, is used for animal consumption, for animal fodder or feed or whatever you call it. Um, so that's why we also say it's one of the main drivers, is our meat production. Yeah. Uh, this is just to, so it's actually a very small part that's used for the biofuel. That's because it's only part of the oil that goes for the biofuel. But most of, when you have a soybean, like 80% is, is uh, pressed into the cake and 20% or 18% is the oil. So you produce a lot more soy meal, soy meal is called, soy meals, than you produce oil. The, the, Geographical footprint of the soy is where we see the biggest problem, right? So this is where all the deforestation happens. The footprint is the, the area it takes up on the on Earth, on the planet, um, and uh, that, that means a lot of deforestation for the production of soy. Most of the deforestation happens in South America. Maybe I should start by saying that Forest of the World is an environmental NGO who <laughs> works to protect the forests all over the world-ish. We have projects in South America, in three countries, no, one country in South America and three countries in Latin America, Middle America, and then uh, two countries in Africa. Um, we work on the ground with locally based, uh, rights-based projects where we work with local people, local partners to implement uh, forest protection, like implementing an alternative income 
instead of uh, cutting down the forests and uh, setting up like cooperatives so that the productions of cocoa or uh, coffee or actually also timber will be sustainable so you don't have to cut down excessive forest or more forest to, to make uh, your own income to sustain your livelihoods. Um, but we also work uh, on the bigger drivers for deforestation. Uh, so one of the drivers is obviously soy. <laughs> there's also uh, a lot of other drivers, but we don't work specifically with palm oil yet. We are a fairly small NGO. We are like 20 people. Um, and most of the people are dedicated to making the projects. And then some of us are making also uh, advocacy and lobby. And this is where we um, confront or deal with the drivers. So we try to work at a political level to make restrictions or change the laws so that the soy won't be the same problem, so that you will actually address uh, this deforestation caused by soy and other drivers of deforestation. That's why we're interested in soy. Soy is also a problem in Bolivia where we have projects on the ground, so we see some of the consequences with our own eyes. Uh, not me, but my colleagues who are out there sees them with their own eyes. But most of the soy comes out of Argentina and Brazil, and it's difficult to say how much soy we get from, for instance, Bolivia, because it goes through Brazil. So you can't really know where your soy is from. Yeah? Can I ask why the soy from Bolivia goes through Brazil? I think it's closer to the ocean, because <laughs> it's transported in big ships. Okay. Um, so then it's like technically from Brazil, but... Most actually. probably, yes. I'm not quite sure. I haven't seen any like overview where the soy is indicated to be from Bolivia. Mm -hmm. But maybe the Bolivian soy is used either in Bolivia itself or in Brazil. It's, it's very difficult to trace mm. um, the soy. But it doesn't seem like any soy is going out of Bolivia. Oh, also considering that um, 8.2 million hectares were deforested, so then uh, taking into account that 123 or something hectares are used for soy production then, was that converted from that from something else? Was that was something else being grown being grown there before? A lot of it is in the states as well, yeah. where it hasn't been deforested. There wasn't any, at least not rainforest there before. Yeah. I'm not sure what was there. I don't really know about the situation in China, for instance. China are also producing soy. Yeah. Um, there were some areas like. Probably, this is only from 2000 to 2015. So some areas have been deforested already before yeah. that. Um, and then there will be some of the statistics that are a little bit difficult to, to see through because sometimes they, um, they send in the cattle. They actually deforest and then they put cattle on the ground first for a couple of years and then the soy, they plant the soy. And that means that sometimes you can't see in the statistics what's the cause, what's, if it's soy that's the cause of, of the expansion or the deforestation. So right now in the Amazon, for instance, there is a soy moratorium signed in, in Brazil that uh, prohibits the, the destruction of the Amazon for more soy production, which means that the soy has been sent to the Cerrado or the, the yeah, the, 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 what do you call it? The forest, the Cerrado. But it also means that what is causing the deforestation is the cattle in the Amazon. And I don't know if you remember in 2019, there was a huge amount of forest fires in Brazil, or at least we heard about it. So in 2020, it was worse. 2021, it was even worse. 2022 is shaping up to be even worse still. So they are still destroying the Amazon.
it's just cattle that they're putting on the land. And it might turn into soy eventually, but this is some of the things we're trying to prevent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the big cattle ranges in, in Brazil. Uh, I think you call it industrial, yeah? It's, it's produced for both the leather and the meat. Uh, the cattle production in Brazil is very different than in Denmark. They actually go outside, where in Denmark they stay inside and we don't see them there. Um, so a little bit about the soy trade, just to give you an overview. The soy trade in the world is, is as I said, a very difficult to trace because there are no laws yet to uh, demand you to be able to account for, you, for where your soy is from. So unless you dig down into the shipping papers and pay a lot of money to get to to have access to them it's impossible to know how the soy is traded uh, particularly there are some some big lines that you can actually see how much is coming from brazil to denmark but it's difficult to see where in brazil it's from and it's difficult to see if it's actually from brazil or maybe bolivia or something like that so um, China is one of the biggest importers, even though they produce soy themselves as well. Um, but EU is the second largest import, second largest importer of soy in the world. Um, Ten percent doesn't seem like a lot, but as as the second largest, like it's not because China is important ninety percent. Maybe they're important. I don't, actually don't know twenty percent something like that. Um, but it seems like the European import is causing more deforestation than the Chinese import. And this might be because we are importing more soy from Latin America and China might be importing it from the States, for instance. I'm not sure where China gets the soy from. I haven't looked into that yet. Let me just fix Denmark, then I'll take on China afterwards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so Denmark. We import 1.7 million tons soy a year-ish. It varies a little bit from year to year. Um, it's about 10% of Europe's, to um, Europe's total import. That's quite a lot for a small country, yeah. That's all our kind little pigs <laughs> and needs soy. Um, uh, because the soy we import is linked to deforestation, this is causing a lot of uh, CO2 emissions as well. Um, and this is one of the big problems with the import of soy. Right now, it seems, I think it's around 6 million tons that are caused by just the soy. And then the last 1 million tons is from the palm oil. So this means that half of what our agricultural sector or business is now emitting, the same amount we're emitting outside the country, we're just not counting it. Um, okay, so I talked a little bit about the problems with soy. I'll come back to it a little bit, but I also want to give it the benefits that, that are actually part of the soy story. The soybean is a very efficient little crop, a little bean with a lot of protein, and it's got all the right acids, amino acids and stuff like that to be consumed, for instance, by animals. The protein is available in the soybean, and it's very effective. You can uh, grow a lot of protein on a small area compared to other crops and other beans as well. Uh, I was once told that the soy has been genetically modified so that it's um, easier to grow it in Latin America. It was actually more suited for the European environment. Um, 
and I'm, I haven't, I'm, I, I lack the scientific source for this, so this is why I say I'm, I was told. I'm not sure <laughs> by who, but um, I think it's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, most um, of soils, especially coming from the U.S. Yeah, it's genetically modified, yeah. yeah. But yeah. U.S. is more temperate, temp you know, the, the climate is, is different than it is in the jungle. But one of the reasons it's also genetically modified is so that it can uh, resist the glyphosate yeah. that you spray it or... Um, Spray it with, you know what I mean. Uh, yes. Do you know if it's really genetically modified or did they breed them? Because if you breed them a lot uh, in Latin America, then they can naturally become more adapted to it. But was it an active process or not? I think it was an active process. Okay. I think it is actually GMO soy. You oh, call it GMO soy. Um, it, it's it's true that it's also part of the scam of uh, <laughs> genetical modification that you you have to use the right uh, agrotoxics, yeah. but it's also uh, something you do so it can stand the agrotoxics so that you can get away with the weeds, get a, yeah. get rid of the weeds. Um, yeah. And second question: uh, Do you know if um, so it can be grown not as a monoculture because Yeah, so in an agroforestry setting, yeah. maybe? I, I don't know, so I'm going to ask you. It sounds good. Uh, this was actually trying to highlight the good things about soy, <laughs> because there are some good things about it as well. But um, there are definitely also some problems. Um, uh, it's not the soybean per se, it's the production that is the problem. Um, it's uh, often, especially in Argentina and Brazil, large-scale productions, so it's huge like farms like really huge farms. One farmer owns the huge setting of land and they kick out the local people or even if they actually uh, leave the local people in the area, they uh, kind of contaminate them with all the, the glyphosate that they spray on the soy. They sometimes use airplanes. And we have a report from Argentina actually where there's a lot of uh, incidences of uh, local people being like the planes fly over them and they get sprayed and their animals die. There is a, a rise in the number of cancer incidents and uh, unprovoked abortions uh, within the people who have been living close to the, to the soy production areas. Um, this is partly also because they fly over them with this and, and the water gets contaminated. Like when they live close to a river, the water gets contaminated, they get contaminated or the animals get contaminated. It's horrible. Um, yeah, and as you said, over time, all the nutritions will, will disappear from, from the soil. And sometimes they need to cut down more for us to get more nutritious soil to expand their business in. Um, and then deforestation. Deforestation, deforestation, deforestation. From our view, it's one of the big, big, big problems as well. Um, that huge areas will be deforested. Um, so this is a little overview of the deforestation in uh, South America, where 61% um, 
of the deforestation in South America occurs in Brazil. And eight, 48% is in the Amazon. I'm actually lacking the, the, the year of this, so I don't know when this is from. But I suspect that, that they might, it might be, it's relatively new, but it might uh, be after the soy moratorium. So this is, they have calculated that even though it's animals or cattle that they put on the, on the ground first, they blame the soy for being the reason for the deforestation. As I said, the big, big reason we import so much soy is our pig production. And um, this is the reason why meat, the meat production is a problem. It's because they get so much fodder, feed, food, whatever it's called. All of this, all of the, this is not soy. So it's not only to blame soy, but soy is one of the components in the fodder that causes deforestation. Even though it's just such a small part, it's a huge driver of deforestation. A lot of the other things that are in the fodder is grown either in Denmark or in Europe or in Ukraine, where you get the the wheat. Is, is it called wheat? Yeah. Because they're actually not built to take in too much protein, so you need to put uh, put uh, carbohydrates in as well. Yeah. Uh, so that's why you need to mix it. But mm. then there's I don't know if you know the 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 term I look indirect land use change. So you grow the wheat in Denmark, and then you might push out the productions of the beans that might be grown in Denmark as well. But and then it you push it all the way out. Like it needs to be grown somewhere else. Yeah. So even though we grow all our own wheat, maybe for the pigs, we still need to import the protein then. So that's why it is pushing the problem out into the forest. So obviously the consequences of all this deforestation, the loss of nature is the loss of biodiversity, the destructions of renewable resources or just resources overall. Eventually it's climate change because when you cut down forest, you let out a lot of uh, carbon uh, to the atmosphere. Um, it's the destruction of native homes, as I said before. We have a report from Argentina where we have very specific stories from locations in Argentina where people have been uh, displaced, been beaten, been attacked, been shot, uh, have been forced to move. Or if they stay, they get like, at, like hit by the glyphosate or other problems. Um, all right, so to change this <laughs> big, huge problem, we need to do different things. In our objective, in our minds, we need, like, first of all, things that we need to reduce the production of meat uh, and eat some of the beans ourselves. or um, And then we also need to change the way it's produced. Why is this so freaking difficult? It's obvious to all of us <laughs> that this needs to be done. So some of the stuff that has been done so far is, for instance, the soy moratorium that I just told you about briefly, which is a moratorium that they agreed on in Brazil. It was the business, the soy business themselves, and WWF who pushed for this for a long time. And then they decided to make this moratorium where they would not uh, allow deforestation after 2006. So um, you're not supposed to deforest after 2006 in the, in the Brazil, in the Amazon. You need to move it outside. And a lot of companies signed the moratorium and they kind of live by it-ish. That just pushed the deforestation out into the Cerrado. 
Other things that are actually in place are certifications, different certifications of the soy. Um, so it's a scheme you try to adhere to, like it's a, a, um, a list of criteria that you adhere to and say, if I fulfill all of these criteria, I can get my soy certified. And so there's like the Proterra and there's the RTRS, the Roundtable on Sustainable uh, on responsible soil. Thank you. Yes, yeah. <laughs> was the wrong yes. Yes, um, two different certifications that has been in place for a very long time, and that they are being used a lot, um, but they are not perfect in any way. They are maybe better than nothing, but you cannot lean against these certifications. And in our objective objective they don't give you the right to say that your soy is deforestation free and this is because in the Proterra which is the actually the biggest one Brazil is uh, producing a lot of this or most of the Proterra soy in worldwide um, this is because it has an unclear definition of what native nature is and when you have an unclear definition of what native nature is when do you know when that is being cut down or how do you know what not to cut down in order to, to adhere to this. Um, and then the governance of the whole certification scheme is not that good. It's not very transparent. And uh, the wordings on, for instance, human rights, which we think is very important, aka what happened in Argentina, um, the, the, the language being used is not very strong. It doesn't mention that you should not violate indigenous people's rights or it more it's more like you should adhere to the ILO 169 which is also good but it would be stronger to have direct language in the in the text for this um, the RTRS which is uh, actually um, somehow the, the more known one at, at least in Denmark um, is uh, also not perfect <laughs> It's good, but it's not perfect. The worst part about it is that it gives you the possibility to uh, buy credits, which means that you can have a farmer, in theory it's good, because you can have a farmer way outside the reach of the law or something like that, and he can produce, sustain produce sustainable soy, but he might not have access to the, the value chain. Like he can't sell it because the truck coming to pick up his soy it's not loaded with sustainable soy, so his soy goes into the regular soy. So he might not have access to that market in that way. But he can then sell a credit. He can then get some extra money. He can sell his soy as conventional, normal soy, and then he can sell a credit for it because it was sustainable. That means that the Danish soy importers can buy the credits. They can buy conventional soy and buy the credits. This means that they are actually generating a little bit of money for the person who is growing the soy sustainably, which is good. But it doesn't mean that the soy you're holding your, in your hands is deforestation free, which means that you still give a market away for the deforestation soy. And this is unfortunately what all the Danish companies are doing right now. They are going into the credit business and buying all these credits and it's just, ah. Um, RTRS also gives a way for something called mass balance. That means you can buy a bunch of soy and say this is 50% deforestation free. And so what? What about the rest of the... I mean, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> Teeny. Yeah. Um, 
don't even want to mention his name. He, he's just not nice. And he's not being very polite to nature. Um, he is right now um, trying to dismantle some of the environmental laws in Brazil. Uh, some of the laws that has been put in place for many, many years to protect uh, indigenous people's uh, rights. Uh, some of the environmental institutions that are in place in, or were in place in Brazil, he's like firing people, cutting down on staff. So the people who were supposed to implement the environmental law in Brazil are no longer there or are um, just paralyzed because their bosses have been fired so they don't know what to do. Um, and so you can actually see the rate of, of tickets given for illegal deforestation going down an illegal deforestation going up in Brazil right now for the last two, three years. And this is one of the reasons why the forest fires in Brazil are just growing, 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 growing. He's using the old rhetorics, like cut down the forest and develop our country. This is something that they used in the 85 when they had the military di di dictator. Dictatorship, um, yeah. dictatorship, yes. So he's bringing that back. Sure. Wonderful. Um, and why is he so important right now? Obviously, he's there right now, and uh, he's actually up for election again now in November-ish. Um, and uh, he, there, there are some rumors saying that because he doesn't think he's going to be re-elected or nobody thinks he's going to be re-elected, he's trying to do as much as he can before being re-elected. Because otherwise, going into election year, you might want to slow down the controversial uh, change making, but he's not. <laughs> he's still trying to push these like dismantling of the laws through. So he's trying to have what we call the destruction package, which is a package of laws, different laws that will take down the rights of indigenous peoples and take away their rights to their land that they've had been given the rights to for years and years and years. He's trying to implement new laws that will take away their rights and open up the land for mining and for deforestation. Um, and one of the reasons he's relevant to us also, obviously, the destruction he's causing, but it's also the Mercosur trade agreement that is being discussed. I'm going to say right now, but um, it's actually laying low right now, but it has been developed for 20 years. It started out in 2002, I think. They started developing the Mercosur trade agreement and they've been uh, negotiating on it for years and years and years, 20 years, uh, and it's now almost ready. Um, it's in the EU, it's been almost ready for two years now, I think, uh, when we first started working on it, it's what, one and a half year ago maybe, and uh, it's hopelessly outdated. So when you start something 20 years ago and you have a mandate to negotiate a trade agreement, the mandate is 20 years old, you didn't have the same focus on climate and environment 20 years ago as you do today. So the trade agreement is just not living up to the time right now. If this trade agreement, as it is now, is going to be uh, signed and um, implemented, it's going to cause a lot of deforestation. There's been some uh, universities that have been calculating this, and only the deforestation caused by uh, beef, for instance, will rise with 25%. So this is going to give way for a lot of deforestation because it will allow agricultural groceries to go to Europe and cars, they call it cars for cows, cars and technology to go to Brazil. 
There's also some reports saying that this trade agreement will actually hold Brazil back from developing because you're going to keep it in an in a agricultural country. There's not going to be any need for technological development in Brazil because they're going to import that because of the trade agreement. Um, this means that there won't be the development of this kind of knowledge in Brazil, which will keep them in this. Um, and it's actually both Brazil and Argentina as well as part of this uh, Mercosur trade union. Um, and we have been uh, argumenting that you shouldn't finish the trade agreement now because it will be a um, it will be a prize for Bolsonaro. It will be a uh, it will be something that he can say, "This is what I've done. I'm so good. I've done this." And we're like, "Yeah, it's been in in the making for 20 years. It isn't really your fault, but it will still be on his crown, uh, and that's not something we want to give him or acknowledge him right now." And we don't think that you can make an agreement with a country that is um, going that direction that he is. It actually does say in the Mercosur Agreement that you should live up to the Paris Agreement, whatever that means. The jury is still out on that. But um, I think it's uh, very safe to say that he is not doing that. He is not stopping deforestation. He is not even living up to his Paris Agreement um, the first NDC or the, the promises that they made, what he should be doing in order to live up to the 1.5 degrees. Another thing that's going on right now, which might be more interesting, is the EU's anti-deforestation law. We don't know really what to, uh, we've been struggling. We called it the EU uh, deforestation law and it sounded like it was a law to do deforestation. Like, no, no, that's not good. Um, <laughs> So this is a very long name, and now it's actually called the EUDR, the EU Deforestation Regulation. Um, this is supposed to be a regulation that will prohibit the import or export of uh, groceries or uh, products to and from Europe that contains deforestation. This would be huge if they actually succeed in implementing this or making it. They are developing the law right now, and of course there are some flaws and some, some uh, loopholes in it already. <laughs> we are fighting hard to close those loopholes so that this will actually be a good uh, law that will have um, good repercussions. This is something that the business in Denmark is also keen on getting, because a lot of the businesses in Denmark, like the Arle or um, Co-op, for instance, they really, really want deforestation-free groceries or products. But if they have to step up and do it for themselves, it will be expensive and they will be like put out of the market. So they are looking forward to everybody having to live up to this so that they can take that step and not be out-conquered by the other producers. Yeah, one of the problems is that if it only protects forests, even though it's a deforestation law, we would actually like it to be a conversion-free law. So that's conversion of all ecosystems, not only forests. We don't want it to move to the Pantanal or the Cerrado or other places. Oh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how, how we're going to save the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is. It's in, in the Amazon, the forests don't catch fire on themselves. You need to, it's rainforest. So you need to cut it down, leave it to dry for two weeks before it can actually burn. And then you need to light it on fire. So all the forest fires, yeah. forest fires that we are seeing, is actually a symptom of something that has happened already. Yeah. So it's not the fires, but it, it's very difficult for the fire to spread into the rainforest 
But what is also going on is actually because of the climate change, the forest is getting drier and drier. Mm -hmm. And it's getting more and more difficult for the forest to regenerate, not the, the destructed forest, but the, the, the lush forest. As it is getting drier, that's normal for the forest to get drier in the dry season and then wetter again in the wet season. But it doesn't regenerate in the same way. It doesn't get as wet as it used to. So even there, you have this uh, issue where the forest is getting more and more close to being able to catch fire. And then when you light a fire in an area, the forest next to it dries out because it's so hot because of the fire, obviously. And it's actually, then it might be possible for the forest fires to spread a little bit. But in, the, uh, in Bolivia, the forest fires can catch on. It's not the same kind of humidity forest where we work in Chiquitania. So it's more like the, the, it's more a dry forest where it can actually catch the fires so the fires can spread wild. And you say you do advocacy work. Right. Can you explain a little bit how you do it? <laughs> um, we actually do it on a lot of different levels. The, the, the policy or the advocacy that we do, we have been doing a campaign for a couple of years towards uh, Danish Crown. Um, we've been talking to them directly, uh, having uh, conversations with them on what we think they should do. I'm not an expert in growing soy, so I can't tell them specifically how to do it, but I can tell them that traceability is step one. You need to know where your soy is coming from. You need to know where exactly it's coming from. Then you need to know what's going on out there. Then you need to make sure that there's no deforestation being made in the area or even at the producer level. Because it's not only the soy you buy, because then you could buy it from a farmer who would be doing good soy there and deforestation with the other hand. And we don't want that. You need to make sure that the producer that you buy it from is deforestation free in all of his production. And even the importer, the, the, the ship who's selling the soy, the, the bungee, Cargill, the big mm. companies, should be deforestation free in all of their value chain, is our opinion. But we talked to Danish Crown about that. Then we tried to talk to the Danish government on what regulations can we put in place. They actually did make a soy action plan. The government made it because they also knew that this EUDR, the, the EU law, was coming. So they knew that they could as well start it. But the action plan is kind of, kind of very weak, <laughs> saying there will be something on an EU level and we will live up to that. Oh. Um, and then there has been like a, an initiative made by the companies themselves, which is called the soy, um, not soy moratorium, but the, the sustainable soy um, group network-ish. That is also where Danish Crown is actually also a part of. So they all obliged to make an action plan for themselves, for all of their companies, uh, and they did make action plans, but there was no demand on when to implement the action plans. So it could be in, you know, 22,000-ish. Um, so we've been trying to, when they publish their action plans, we've been trying to read them and, and, and make conversation with them and push them in their heads and saying that they should do it better. And then we've been obviously working with the EU deforestation law. And also when we participate in the international climate negotiations, we also we, we can't stop the deforestation from soy, but we can take some of the some of the knowledge that we have from there, some of the experience that we have from there and implement it or use it in the development of um, the Paris rule book, the rules that are put in place to implement the Paris Agreement, try to make them stronger on the deforestation area and uh, just look out for where we can 
put our foot down and stop the deforestation. It's probably not at the Paris Agreement level, but it's very much on the EU level, both the deforestation law here, the regulation, or uh, some of the other regulations that are being developed right now in the EU, which is a lot. <laughs> We're just a small NGO with like one person trying to follow all of EU, and they got like 50 different laws coming out right now, so you're like, ha, ah, um, it's so, such easy text to read, right? Yes, <laughs> it's just easy reading. But we work together with other NGOs as well. So all of the Danish NGOs, and we have a big network of, of European NGOs as well, where we try to get our intel and try to say, this is our experience, what can you do, what can we do? So we're actually quite coordinated in, in making statements and trying to just implement or improve the stuff that they're doing. We do different things in different countries depending on what's the, the problem there. But in Honduras, we work with the with the local people and the indigenous peoples uh, through their own organizations. And we've been working with the with the land tenure. So the the, the common, the communal land tenure, like the, the whole society gets the tenure to the land. So it's not just one person. So one person can't sell it off. And then we work in, in making cooperatives, for instance. They, they do, I think it's cocoa cacao yeah. that they do and they gathered it and they take it down to the society to the cooperative where they have specialized in drying the, the cocoa so that they ha now have a process where they can do it more professionally get better products mm -hmm. and then they sell it in in it's it, is, it actually gives them more if they sell it in bulk so they can sell it to the bigger, richer cocoa companies or, or chocolate companies so they can earn a little bit more. So they don't need to produce the same amount of cocoa. And this, this setup where it's a cooperative with the whole society involved has proven very um, popular. So we actually have people outside waiting in line to be involved in this because they want to be part of the cooperative. And this is just by word of mouth that this has been told that this is a this is a good and they can start to see that this is a security for the future one of the things we're also doing in that same area is actually doing um helping them to set up a system where they can monitor the forest so they have the cocoa plantations or not plantations but it's because it's agroforestry but they have the cocoa uh, small bits and farms there in kind of like a buffer zone around the lush primary forest and then they 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 monitor the forest behind it and we give them, try to implement or set up systems where they can like report it if they see something directly to the government very fast. And that might be where we could feel a backlash. Because if they would meet like the intruders, I'm not sure how they handle it. In an ideal world, what would be the perfect solution to this problem? Firstly, well, or secondly for a consumer, so what do I go and buy? Less meat. <laughs> yeah, but then it's like, so a lot of people think that, okay, I buy less meat, so I buy an alternative, and an alternative is probably going to have soy in. But that's okay. So it's better to have it's better than tofu than it is to have yeah, beef. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Because of the amount of feed or fodder that the animals are eating, it's better if you eat the, 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 the peas or the beans directly. Because you wouldn't need seven kilos to yeah. get full of one kilo, you know? But the area you need to make protein for people, plant protein, is so much smaller than the area yeah, you need if you need to put it into the mouth of an animal. They, they need so much fodder to produce the meat. And there's always a little bit of waste of energy every time you put it through a, uh, little, uh, a, a section, a layer, yeah, something like... 
from that to that animal to that animal to you there's like the loss of energy so you eating the plants directly is a lot easier on the resources of the earth and uh, another thing you could do is is ask in your supermarket i know it doesn't make any sense but ask do you know where the soy and your meat is coming from and the salesman will be like huh <laughs> but the more attention we create around this the more they know that there is a um, demand because what we also hear them say is like but the consumers doesn't want it no because they don't know what's freaking in their meat they don't know the problem they don't know the the destruction they're causing and so we really want them to know that there is a demand that there is a an, an ask for another project yeah, yeah maybe there's a if you want to say anything in closing and then we'll wrap it up something clever uh, <laughs> sure. go and support the villains go Verdenskoer.org, or actually the forestoftheworld.org, is uh, the English webpage. You need to go to Danish. There will be a little Danish flag up in the one corner. Mm -hmm. And then our campaigns, we are doing quite a lot of campaigns, are in the slideshow in the top. Bless you. Um, and there, there is one towards Danish Crown. But you can sign all the campaigns if you think they're for a good cause on biodiversity and the EU deforestation regulations, stuff like that. So go and check it out. We also work with volunteers, so maybe we can do a collaboration at some point. It would be interesting, I think. Yeah. This talk is part of the Soy Series project at Our Food, Our Future Denmark. The Our Food, Our Future initiative is co-funded by the European Commission and is an international coalition of civil society organizations working towards changing the global food system to be sustainable and socially just. In Our Food, Our Future Denmark, we try to bring issues of food justice to the forefront of public debate. Our Food, Our Future projects are produced with the financial support of the European Union. The contents of this talk are the sole responsibility of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of the European Union. Thank you for listening. <laughs>